You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. Men of Numenor arrived upon the shores of Eriador late in the Second Age, born out of the ruin of Westerners on their ships. The coming of Elendil and his people would change Middle-earth forever, for the men of Numenor were a proud and noble race who founded the realms of Gondor and Arnor, the greatest kingdoms of men in the history of Middle-earth. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm here today with Jeremy. Hello. And Kylie. Hello, hello. And uh, today, as you might have guessed from that wonderful introduction, we are talking about Numenor. Mm. Yes, we are. Numenor. The Numenorians. An oldie but a goodie. Yep, absolute ripper of a list. We are, of course, using the Middle-Earth SBG rules, and for the first time we'll be discussing some of the profiles here, so this is, uh, I'm really looking forward to this. First time anyone has discussed these profiles. Yeah, it's, it, there's actually been a blanket ban on all media up until we were ready to launch our first episode here, so let's get right into it. First people talking about any, any Middle-Earth SBG lists. So, first we're set, off... We're set, the, we're set the bar high. We, the bar oh yeah, high. we're gonna set, oh, so high. So... First thing we're going to uh, mention, or first thing that I want to mention, is that I think all of us on the Green Dragon have always liked Numenor. Like, it's, I know a lot of people have always felt they're maybe a little bit underpowered or underwhelming, maybe, but I think we've always really liked them, just as a group. Is that fair to say? Honestly, they have, yes, like, I don't know for any, any of you two folks, but for me in particular, they have been, like, a namestay for, like, years. To the point where, like, I had people telling me, like, you in particular, Matt, that I wasn't allowed to, like, take them to tournaments anymore because they were too good. Or I was playing with them, like, like they were just crazy oh, good. I don't remember saying that, but okay. <laughs> I believe Maybe you. Maybe it was someone. I believe but you. Yeah, I, I'm sure right. people have told you plenty of times that you can't take that uh, army. Probably for all armies, but yeah. Uh, maybe Numenor particularly. Uh, what, what did you always like about them? Well... Aside from, like, the obvious, you know, Alendil and Isildur, I actually found that the, the base troops are pretty solid. Like, fight for across the board is always, always just a good sta staple to have, especially when you have fight for with spear and shield. And in particular, that spear and shield combo is just really, really, really solid. Like, majority of my, like, Numenor army is pretty much all spear shield and a handful of bows. And the reason that is, is the spear-shield combo allows you to fight in any direction. So no matter which direction you're being charged from, you're always able to kind of, like, set to receive in a way and kind of change up the way that the, the battle lines are being formed. Yeah, so you've, always got, so you've always got consistent defense and you've always got consistent attacks in that kind of uh, formation. Yeah, and yeah. um, that's just the troops. Then you get into the beat sticks of power... Um, Elendil and the Pointy Sword of Doom, and Isildur in and the most skullduggery piece of war gear that has been ever known to man, the uh, the One Ring. Oh yes, that's gonna make that's we're gonna be talking about that in a bit. But uh, firstly, before we get into specifics, Jeremy, what, what have you always thought about Numenor in the past? They've always been underestimated by your opponent, so you can really just play a tactical game with reliable troops 
excellent heroes and just play really reliably and really solid and get the results you want. The Fight 4, when they turned it to Fight 4, was really handy. And I've always just liked the aesthetic of them. They've been an army that not many people have, so it's really good to play them. They've always had some excellent scenarios and that first scene of Fellowship of the Ring is really, really impressive and really sets, sets yourself up for the scene of the battle. I think yeah. the word you're looking for is like iconic, Jeremy. It's a very iconic scene. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting because I, I think everyone actually does have some some of those plastic Numenorians, or almost everyone does, certainly anyone starting early on. But uh, very few people, yeah, turned that into an army. I think it's because the medals were so important. They were always a bit costly and they disappear. Well, they've been in the background a little bit, but they've been hard to get, and they've been a bit of a niche, so most people haven't expanded it out for those. The plastics are significantly lower quality than the metals as well, so if you get the plastics, it's probably not going to inspire you to make a whole army. For sure, for sure. Now, one thing that we've probably learned in the new rules is if something is perceived to have increased in power, maybe even only marginally, maybe even only just a little bit, uh, and the Numenorians have increased in power quite a bit, I think. Then uh, substantially, substantially, yes. Uh, yeah. Then I think we see people making these armies, regardless of the cost, even. So yeah, it's yeah. It's amazing how much um, the good rules are motivated for people to suddenly like the army. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. Now that's got good rules, I'm really going to finally do that. Yeah. Army. That's it. So do we want to? Do we want to get straight into it? Do we want to look at some profiles? Let's go straight into our Know Thine Enemy segment and look at the profiles. Know Thine Enemy. All right, we are diving right into it. Kylie has been so excited to look at some profiles. Kylie, go right ahead. Yay, profiles. Okay, so to start off with, we got Elendil, High King of Gondoran Army. Army? Arnor, he's a hero of legend. He has, like, had the craziest of crazy overhauls. He was good before. He is now fantastic. So to put it into perspective, he has an extra point of strength now. So he's fight seven, strength five with the defense seven, three attacks, three wounds, carry six. Still three, three, one for might, will, and fate. But that's not all. Narsil has gone back onto the hammer once again and has been given a master forged uh, hand and a half sword. So that what that means is Alendil is now strength five, has plus one to wound and can call free heroic combats every turn. Sign me the hell up. That is redonkulous. Absolutely redonkulous. <laughs> That's a lot but of wait, But wait, it gets better. He still retains heroic strike. He has picked up heroic strength, defense, and challenge, which are probably the perfect heroic actions there. The only one that you're kind of missing out on there is probably heroic march, but... We can, we can fix that problem with captains. He's still got the option for the horse and the shield, which is great. He still has the 12-inch standfast as the High King, but this is the best thing ever. The one big bane of the big enemy scary heroes is the magic. But now he gets a special unbending resolve, which allows him to automatically have the fortified spirit magical power always cast upon him. So he can always, always roll at least two dice to resist a spell, even when he has zero will. He is by far one of the scariest heroes in the game now. 
Like, he is insane. Just flat up insane. Yeah, fair it's to not say. Too bad, fair, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's okay. He's all right. Just ridiculous. <laughs> like, I've I've played him in like a little friendly gat match that ended up being not so friendly. He killed, I kid you not, nearly 20 models of my opponent's army, cutting through Isengard tin cans, Urukai warriors like that. He was cutting through butter. He just ripped through, went up to Saruman, chopped his head off in a single turn, went up to Lurts, chopped his head off in a single turn, and just all around just beat stick. Absolutely beat stick. Ugh. Yeah, it's can't get enough. It's interesting. It's, it's crazy. Because um, before the new rules, before the new rules, I remembered people were comparing Thorin and Elendil because Thorin had that uh, the free heroic combat as well, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. His, his big yeah. version. And people were saying, yeah. oh, look, in comparison, you know, Elendil seems quite overcosted. And I, I always thought it was the other way around. I always thought uh, Thorin was a little bit undercosted, maybe. But l looking at Elendil now, at the points he is, at uh, his ability to resist magic spells, what do you think about his points? I, I It seems like about right to me around, well, he is uh, close to 200, which, you know, is very expensive. He's not a cheap hero at all. No, he, if you stick him on a horse with a shield, he's 200 points. So, yeah, flat. I mean, yeah. You're, you're gonna, yeah, you're going to have to get your, your kind of your, your use out of him. He does jump up to Courage 7 if you take him in just a pure Numenor army with the uh, army bonus. But yeah, like, he's he's pretty insane. Uh, like, you, you do pay for what you, like, you do get what you pay for. But even still, he can single-handedly win you a game. Oh, yeah. And, and with the... Scared of, really. Not, yeah, not much at all. Yeah, absolutely. Probably just looking at sort of downsides. Yes, he's very expensive. The fact that he's got that free heroic combat, but if you do come up against, say, the big monster, such as, I mean, I don't want to go straight to Balrog. I feel like we always have to go to Balrog now because the Balrog actually is something to look at. But uh, if he is coming up against a, a big monster or a, an equally strong hero, you sort of have to forgo that potentially for a strike or even a defense, maybe? He does, of course, well, even, have the base fight seven, though. So Even the big monsters now, like, uh, even, like, things like Troll Chieftains, Dragons, Gulliver, those kind of, like, even Drakes, anything that's, like, fight seven or higher, like, and by higher, I'm talking about Treebeard and Guahia kind of like tier level even those heroes are now worried because you throw a strength five alendal into him into them with a two-handed weapon you can get that down to fours and fives to wound oh, and yeah. if you get yeah. them trapped or surrounded or he's on the charge you're gonna throw like four six eight dice into that model backing it up with my honestly i can see alendal pulling off a heroic combat against one of those big scary grizzlies yeah just, uh, just kill one turn. you don't need the heroic combat at that point the, the strike to get you fired up to eight nine or ten is the whole bunch of friends is enough to take out a whole bunch of things in the game. Yeah, especially since you can now kind of almost rely on your generic Numenorians if you, like, gang up on a big scary hero or a big scary monster to actually chip in a couple of extra wounds. Because one thing that we're going to get onto later is basic rank-and-file Numenorians are strength four. And you've just given up the entire segment on the... Yeah, that's the whole thing. That's the only thing about yeah. that profile. <laughs> well, let's, let's jump straight. No, 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 straight. no. Wait, I, I still have... I've got one more thing to say just about Alinda. Yeah, yeah. It, um... I, I do find it interesting now that it is a bit of a balancing act because, of course, with that uh, heroic combat ability, like, it's possible. It's possible to combat off something big and scary, but what is definitely possible is to combat off things like captains. 
and I think that's where he really makes it worthwhile because you want to you want those um, sort of mid tier heroes that you can actually you can go right after them and just combat straight off them or into them either way, and that's where he's going to make his points. And I think that's why he may end up being just one of the strongest heroes going around. Yeah, definitely yeah. agreed. 100%. Yep. Okay, so, well, look, let, let's quickly talk about the Warriors, because the Warriors are, of course, the only Warriors in the list, and we've pretty much divulged the best thing about them. So, Kylie, go on. Yeah, yeah. all right. So, not only are they 5-4 now, they're strength 4. And if I've said it once, I've said it a, a thousand times, fight for strength 4 baseline front rank and file troops are the shears. If you have ever, ever played Isengard and just ran a crap load of pike pikemen with like some defense six dudes in front they will steamroll through just about anything and these guys can do it just as well so not only do you get the spear shield combo you also get the strength four and as a little piece to resistance a little like little adding of uh sage rosemary of time on top they now get the blood of numenor special so what the Blood of Numenor special role does is it gives any model within six inches of Elendil, Asildur, or Anarion the resistant magic special role. So now your rank and file troops can, on the occasion, you know, prevent them from being pulled forward by a pesky ring ray for Galadriel or Wandering Wizard or something like that. Yeah, I feel like so that's just something... It's the Nature's Wrath or something. Yeah. Yeah. Even oh, yeah. Like, like yeah. blocking Nature's Wrath. Oh, the baseline troops, like, yeah, they've gone up a point, but the baseline troops are just so solid now. Did they go up a point? I thought they were already... No, they were seven before, and now they're before. eight. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, like, damn, what a change. What a change for, uh, like, I, I've always felt like it would be nice to have something that distinguished them as the premier mace, uh, race of men, because that, that's what they were. That was what they were always described as, uh, the strongest yeah. men. And now they absolutely are. I, I think that's fair to say. Uh... There's no, there's certainly no um, higher fight value men I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, Sons think... of Ael are the only other strength four men I can think of. Yeah, so Still fight four, strength four. Oh, strength four. Fight four, strength four. four. No, Sorry, like, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. So, the only, yeah. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're one step away from Rakai at this point. So, yeah. uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, what else is there to say? And and Resistance Magic is so overlooked. Like, I, I feel like ever since I first saw uh, someone running full Hobbits and just going, like, shrugging off Nature's Wraths and that you, you can't pull anything into position with your compels or whatever, because uh, it's always a risk. And uh, the yeah. first time I saw that, I'm just like, wow, Resistance and Magic, like, that's it. That's the future. And it was. It definitely is. A, a lot of things have Resistance to Magic now, actually. So, really good to see. Really good or to better. see it. Or, or even better, Some yeah. Some guys just went above and beyond resistant magic and got unbending resolve. Uh, yeah, true. Yep. Uh, Elendil, yeah, that... Did, did we really touch on that? Because, damn, he, you can't... Like, you can try and spell him, but it, it ain't gonna do much. Yeah, like, just... I just, don't know. It still does. You, you can still get spells through on him, but just just the, the fact that if you... If there is, like, a clutch turn, like... Turn one on like a contest of champions or something, and an enemy spellcaster comes in with the big scary spell of doom. You can just go screw it. I need to be working this turn. Throw all five dice at resisting a spell. There's a pretty good chance you're gonna shrug that spell off. Yeah, and you can even get some will back if you roll a six on the uh, the actual will. Yeah. Too. So yeah, it's yeah. it's not a bad idea. Yeah. 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 It's so it's very hard to guarantee a spell on him. Basically, yeah. Yeah. So the next kind of like mainstay kind of um, unit we've got is the Captain of Numenor. 
So the Captain of Numenor hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, they still get a horse, a bow, heavy armor, lance, and shield. They're still 5-5, five, five, strength 4, defense 5, 2 attacks, 2 wins with the courage 4. 2-1-1 one, one for Might Will Faint, you know, basic captains. But they also do get the Blood of Numenor special rule, which is, as we said before, is a resistant to magic, which makes them really, really versatile, especially because they now have March. And they're the only thing that has March within the army list which makes, gives them a super important role that, you know, now when you're writing a Numenor army list, you really have to think, do I even need a Sildor at this point? Do I just take the, the, the second captain or a captain instead just to have that march on the table? Yeah, absolutely. I, and I, I think people do understand how important March is. I, I think because in the right situation, it's a game changer. So I, we'll get to it. Like We'll get to lists later, but my first thought was I need a captain straight up. Like I could yeah. go, I could go lend like a Sildor, but I need a captain. Yeah. 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 Agree. Agreed a hundred percent. And interesting. I, Cause I, I feel for this army list more than some of the others, they can probably get away without a whole bunch of marching because they've got decent bowmen. They've got some movement in the heroes, but most enemies are going to try and engage them. They're not going to really avoid for the whole time. Maybe if you're against like a really Corsair list or a Wood Elf list or something like that. But yeah, the March is handy, absolutely. But it's, it's just baked into the list. You're always going to have it, really. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, at certain points levels, it does become a bit of a toss-up between can I take a couple of big heroes or do I need to throw a captain in there instead and go with a few more numbers? Mm. But I, I feel like rocking up without a March in this list is a mistake. It's going to happen really rarely. I think a lot of other lists, you have a real challenge in trying to fit the captains in. This one, you don't. The captains are really good, and they still have their role of throwing them on a horse, give them a lance, and they go and take down hard-to-kill things. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I think it's with the smaller points, when you're kind of sitting around, you know, 500 points, or maybe even a bit lower than that, or a bit higher than that, where... The third hero in your army is is not probably going to appeal. You're probably only going to get the two heroes. And the choice between, say, taking the Isildur or the Captain really starts to make a choice, especially when you're at the low points, the points where, you know, you, you, you can't get three of the heroes in there. I think that's yeah. actually yeah. more around the 600 mark. I think the like 400, 500, you're definitely taking a Captain and, and Isildur or a Lendil if you can fit him in. It's, it's rare. Like at 500, I used to run a Lendil, a Captain, and just two bands. So I don't know how we're fitting Isildur in at that lower level. Uh, I just th I think it's pretty rare that you'll you'll run the Numenor without a Captain. You can absolutely, especially with the bigger war bands. But most of the time, I think you will. So yeah, so uh, kind of a moot point in that regard. So yeah, mm. list when we get up to them. But I think most of us are going to have a Captain in almost everything. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. All right. Uh, one more profile. Also, well, one sort of one. No, more. no, no. More on the captain. Oh, yeah. Go you've on. got heaps of options for how to run the captain. This is where your options for Numenor come in. You've got horse, bow, heavy armor, which isn't around except for the, the named heroes. So you can really bump someone's defense up to about... Yeah. Sports. Heavy armor and shield brings them defense seven. So you can go an infantry defense seven model and just sort of tank things with fight five. You can go for the horse and the, the lance and whatever else you wanted to hit really hard. You can go for a bow captain and have some might-powered shots if you need them. So you've got some real choices there. And it, it's, it's sort of, you've got to have a role in mind ahead of time. Do you need someone that's just going to be on foot and marching with the infantry and then running into monsters or whatever and holding them up? Or do you want to really have a, a killing hero that's going to run off on his own? I, I used to run a formation where it was a Sildor, a Lendil, and a captain on a horse, and they would go off on their own. So you've got a real choice of how you arm your captains. Yeah, oh, yeah definitely. No, I, yeah. Versatile is. Yep. So, so that last profile, Kylie, get into it. All right. So the last profile is probably the one profile that I think got a bit 
you know, shafted a tiny bit with the new rules. So the last one we have is a Citadel. He's now 120 points instead of, I think it was 105 before. So he's gone up a tiny bit. He's got Fight 6, Strength 5, Defense 7, 3 Attack, 3 Wounds, Courage 6. His Might Will Fate is now 3-2-2 instead of 3-1-2. So already we can see a couple of big changes, particularly the Strength 5. He is a lot more heavy than he used to be, and the extra Will Point is always nice. Uh, his War Gear is a Heavy Armor and a Hand and a Half Sword, so you can go two-handed with him if he needs to. Uh, options is the 10-point horse, the 5-point shield, and the 1 ring. I'll get into that a bit later, uh, why the one ring is important and how it works now. And his special rule is the Blood of Numenor. Uh, as we talked about before, he gets resistant to magic when he is within six inches of himself, Elendil, or an, his brother, Anarion. So he's had a few changes, but the big one I'd like to talk about straight up is the ring. The ring was always... Like he was a bargain with the ring. It was they, they didn't factor it into the points really. So it was this amazing bonus you got with him. And at times it was silly good. Like there was a point where you could make your horse invisible as well. So you had him jumping through lines. You had him basically playing a bat swarm role as well as your hitter role. Now yeah. you one you don't always get to take the ring, and two you have to really think about like if you take it, what you're doing with it. So go for it. Yeah, I think that that's the part I wanted to like touch on. Uh, in particular, so the ring straight up, um, before we even look at the kind of stipulations the Sildur's profile gives it, the ring straight up in the rule book has a kind of hierarchy about which models get the ring if there's two models uh, on the table that could take the ring, such as Bilbo, uh, Frodo, or Sauron, and the various others. So aside from that hierarchy, which Isildur is towards the bottom of that hierarchy on, Isildur also has uh, a stipulation in his rule where you cannot take the ring if a Lendl or a Nerion is present in the Force. Before, when you kind of used to run Numenor, you used to have Elendil as your leader, running and smashing stuff, and you kind of used Isildur as an interceptor. So he slips on the ring, charges the big bad enemy thing on the opposing time, and just uh, opposing forces, and just kind of whittles them down up over turns just by being, you know, higher fight value whilst you're in combat with a ring. Yep. And worth mentioning, yeah, you have the ring on and your fight six. You are always higher fight value. Yes. Regardless. Now now you can't really be doing that trick with um, a Lendl on the table as well. So it, it hurt the list a little bit, um, I think, especially in kind of like really competitive scenes where having the ring is like a really big power piece, a really big power, um, big power tool. But the fact that he picks up strength five now and that extra will point means he can be a bit more of a bruiser, kind of almost uh, an, an Elendil light when you're running him alongside his dad. So there's a bit of a like to and fro kind of deal now, especially at low points when you have to pick between the two. There's actually a serious choice between, you know, whether you're taking Elendil or a Sildor because at low points where you can only kind of really afford one of them, you have to kind of really make your choice about which one you want to take. Yeah, it, it can be a tough call. It can be a tough call. As we just said, uh, a Sildor, high fight value regardless with the ring, um, but Elendil can just chop through things, which is invaluable at, at low points. So yeah. really interesting choice. Yeah, so unless you get hard countered by like the next Necromancer or Sauron or to a lesser extent a Ringwraith, yeah, he is going to be trouble. Mm. It's really appealing to me in the Alliance type 4, so if you're going for your typical last Alliance and you want to have a an Elrod or someone like that, to give him the ring there, because you don't get the restrictions on the elf heroes, you only get them for your heroes, Elendil and in the future Anarion. So he's definitely appealing there, but yeah, once again, Isildur's, I mean not Isildur, Elendil is, is really a 
a powerful choice. There is a significant difference in points, though, now. So you can almost get in a whole captain, well, you can, but you can get an almost fully kitted out captain and a Sildor for the price of a Lendil. So that definitely opens up options. Just from a thematic standpoint, he probably shouldn't be able to have the ring uh, with Gilgalad around. Unfortunately, that is Probably not, no, no. Maybe something for an FAQ. Maybe. No, no, no. If you're going themed, you don't do that. But you know how people are with themed. It's only you use it if you have advantage. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's it. That's yeah. how it works. <laughs> Why do we do it in that order? Why do we go first, fourth, third, second? We've only got four models. Because I got sidetracked with the Warriors of Numenor being amazing, and then a captain to like tie back into the previous point of there being no march. Also, by the way, Isildur's heroic actions are heroic strike and strength. And then kind of Isildur was the last thing we, we ha- uh, was left on the list after I talked about the, the Warriors and the captains. And that's our Which method. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, it kind of happened. Don't ask questions. Yeah. Just embrace it. <laughs> just embrace it. Just go so with the flow. So on a Sildor, I am going. I'm going on a Sildor's heroic actions. If you're taking with the Adolin Duel, they're almost a little bit redundant. Like the heroic strike, you're probably not going to use if you've got the ring on. So you might use that if you don't have the ring. The heroic strength is is an option, but it's not convinced on that one either. I guess if you're just fighting a, a troll one on one and you really want to. So when you need a crack like defense that. eight, you go strength because it basically applies the plus one to wound across all your dice, and there's a chance that you could get plus two to wind. I'm kind of surprised yeah, he I... didn't get um, heroic challenge actually. Yeah. Well, you think that would be a good one to do. Yeah. Actually, side note, I did think of a scenario where Strike is useful. If you're up against the Witch King, Kamal, the uh, Necromancer, or Sauron himself. Sure. There you go. Yeah. No, there's, there's times you want to do it. Hooray for those four corner cases. Or if you don't have the ring. Well, even then when you have the ring. Because you don't want to put the ring on when those four are on the table. You yeah. don't have the ring when you have Sauron on the board, don't you? I think that's how it works. Yeah. Uh, Sauron, yes. Necromancer, no. Okay, yeah. Don't worry about that. So you get yeah, the ring, you can design your army around the ring, or you can just use a Lindel as an upgrade on a captain without the march, but with some good options and some good stats, good fight value, good amount of might. He's a good hero, and he activates the resistance to magic special rule. So he's worth it for, for that, because you can spread it across your army and not just have it on a Lindel. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's funny, because in just about any other list, he'd be top-tier hero. He'd be your number one. And in this one, it's just yeah. kind of like you look Agreed. at him and Alendil yeah. and you go, oh, yeah, Alendil, though. <laughs> He's pretty no. freaking baller. Yeah, but then you've got almost 350 points worth of heroes in two models. So it's, it is a tough choice. Mm. Any mm. speculation around Anarion? Yes. Yes, me too. Go, Kylie. All right. I reckon he's going to be fight six, strength five, uh, heavy armor, so defense seven. I think he's going to be three attacks, three wounds. Courage 6. I think his stats are going to be 3-1-1. He's going to obviously have the Blood of Numenor special. He'll have the option of getting a horse and a horse shield and I think maybe a lance, but don't quote me on that. But I think the biggest thing is he's going to have the boldest of bold special. Yeah, bold pl- please describe. Okay, so the boldest of bold special is uh, he gets plus 2 courage when attempting to charge a terrifying scary thing and plus 2 courage when being struck out by a mortal with blades of the dead. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. The reason why I think yeah. that is because that's what his rules were in the old White Dwarf Last Alliance campaign thing that we did like many moons ago and that's what he, that was his thing. He was good at charging scary things. So this is plagiarized speculation. Is yeah. Okay. I'm going to speculate as well. I don't think he'll have that because I think the rules designers probably went alive when that white dwarf came out. <laughs> 
So I'm going to go for exactly the same profile initially as a Sildor, except three might, uh, three will, one fate, because he uh, died. So I think he's going to have less fate and will for some reason just to balance it out. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's going to be three one one. I don't think yeah, he'll have. I, I don't think he'll have any fate at all. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> They've kind of gone back, and a lot of the heroes that ha traditionally had zero fate picked up an extra fate. Like, look at Avadui. He's got a fate now. Yeah, it's time. Anarion, zero fate. I, I think he's going to have a single-handed horde. Sword, a single-handed sword and a shield. No, no hand and a half. Nope. I think he's going to have a single-hand sword. I think they're going to make him look different by having a shorter sword. All right. So, Ooh. from oh. my speculation, I think we're seeing so much of the um, the uh, family member dies, you go crazy kind of thing. Uh, I actually think. Oh. I, no, no, no. My thought on this one, they're going to go the opposite. I think if a Narion dies, it will buff the other two. It will harden their resolve. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Bit of Thaden Eowyn action going on. Yeah, I well, kind of, but less uh, game-breaking in the fact that Eowyn does nothing from that point on because he just dodged her. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. But, uh, I mean, unless you're on an objective, and then in case, you know, you just jump Thaden on an objective, die, and Eowyn becomes objective holder personified. But... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, I really think something like, I don't know, they get an extra will to resist magic and they get an extra courage or not that they need extra courage, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. No. I, I think something like that. I think something that's similar to those rules that we've seen where we know a family member dies and we see in the books uh, and in the movies what happens when they die and how it affects people. I think, yeah, something like that, but how it affects Isildur and Elendil very differently, I think, to how it affected other characters in the series. So yeah, that's my wild speculation. Mm. Also, you're quite wild. right with uh, not caring about courage. One thing I just forgot, just realized is their army bonus is plus one courage. Yep. Yes. yes. Those captains are ridiculous. That. Five Courage five is like a really sweet spot to get at. And how we in that elf versus Arnold, well, not uh, Agmar game we had, Kylie. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing for a Sildor because now he's like courage seven with the ring. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, I mean, Courage 7 heroes, and, and don't forget, Elendil has a 12-inch standfast as well. So, yeah. Courage is not a problem for this list. Numinous, stupid. <laughs> it's not. It's... it's it's good. It's it's nice and, I, I think, balanced and has some choices, which are which is surprising given four profiles. Four profiles, but quite a bit right, of choice yeah. in here. Yeah. It used to be probably slightly below par, but a good player could get a lot out of it. And now it's definitely up there with all the other lists. So it looks really good because it's just at the, the power level of everything else. Yeah. The only downside I noticed um, when I was playing a game with this list was the last time I played a game with Numenor, I had a Lendil, a Sildor, and a Captain, and a full complement of 36 Warriors. Uh, for the same points, I can't field that in an army anymore. I get, like, an extra, like, five or six models less. So I think that's one thing that I started to notice when I'm playing Numenor now is that I got less dudes because everything's more expensive and more killy. They're not a budget horde anymore. You've no, because, gotta... yeah, before they were a budget horde, you know, a couple of captains, a Sildor and a Lendl at 800 points and you're, you're pushing plus 40 models. Now you're, you'll be struggling to get over 40 models. At... You're looking at the 35, 36 or so. Yeah, for the same points. Yeah, they definitely play as an elite army now, which is as it should be, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So their ally matrix is kind of really weird in a way. Wait. Well, for starters, aside from the obvious that a lot of, of armies are red, there's a couple of like really quirky armies that are yellow. 
For starters, go the green first. Well, the green is they only got one green, and that's Rivendell, obviously, because you know they lost the alliance. Yeah, lost the alliance. Google had Noah on watch us beat things over the back of the head with big sticks. Um, but then enough, you could take the elf heroes that weren't alive at the last alliance as well. You could throw in an Arwen or the elf twins or any of the others that weren't born yet. And... Uh, yeah, but if you're taking Google out, which you probably are going to, you get some weird stipulation rules from their profiles and stuff. So, well, they'll run. Yeah. Um, but also, um, Thranduil's Halls and Lothlorien are yellow. So you can take some Galadrim or some, you know, Palaskar with Rangers or stuff like that with Numenor and, you know, not get totally screwed over by the Red Allies. Makes sense, because they were around at the same time. There was plenty of elves around Yeah, with Numenor. So Second Age, that's fine. But the coolest one, I think, for in terms of, like, yellow allies is Fangorn and the Misty Mountains. You can take eagles and ants at yellow allies with them. As I can see theme-wise, ants, I'm not as sure, but we don't. It's one of those, it could happen, so we might as well put it in type things, I think. All around at the same time, they all could be there, so... That the end one especially I find interesting. I yeah, mean, well, at, thing... at the last yeah. alliance, it did actually like mention that it was more than just um, men and elves, and uh, like almost every race was represented on both sides. I believe it was the both last sides, alliance. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, there were there were certainly mentions that uh, dwarves were fighting on both sides. So um, uh, it's not a uh, too much of a stretch, I think, to say there could have been an end or two there. Is there any dwarf list that's yellow? No, not is a it... single dwarf base list is a uh, yellow or green with the last alliance, which is strange because yeah, yeah they did fight together. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind it if you could just take Thrall without named heroes or something like that. Or um, what's what's a generic dwarf one? Khazad Doom, just with no named heroes. Just... Yeah, I, I think it's a case of um, with this one, movies superseding the books perhaps just with the the way that the theme ended up going yeah but that doesn't back up the end argument beforehand that was definitely a potential possibility from the book whereas yeah the, no the no you're right yeah definitely um well what we might see in the future and what we have heard that is coming uh very specialized army lists that can be ran competitively and are highly thematic and streamlined so, you know, we could see something like that in the future around uh, the last alliance, perhaps on a more th thematic level or, or more uh, closely tied to the books. Mm. So here's hoping, fingers crossed. Mm. So lots of red, lots of red. Yeah, You've got a good choice of outlines for it. Probably one of the few lists that's pretty much all red. That and Laytown. That's all right. They're, they're from the second age, so I can see. Or Arnold. I understand. Yeah, it's not, un it's not unexpected. Yeah. All right. Arnold grew out of the middle. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, wasn't Arnold... Yeah, yeah, it was like, uh, that was where Isildur and Elendil sort of grew oh, yeah, their kingdom initially in Middle-earth, right? After the yeah, fall and then of it Art kind of became and... dangerous. Stuff happened, and then went to Gondor, and more stuff happened. Yep, yep, lots of things and stuff happening. And right after this break, we'll have even more things and stuff happening, so stay tuned. Okay, so we're going to move on to our second segment, which hopefully had a nice little intro there. And Jeremy, we're talking about tactics around Numenor. Now, the Numenor tactic, if you have a Lindil, 
you have one basic tactic. It's let Alindil do everything. So you've <laughs> got to give him time to get those heroic combats happening every turn. Every turn, just killing a few guys, heroic combating, which means the rest of your army has to stay alive. Luckily, you've got some of the best equipment to stay alive, and that's the shield. So don't be afraid to spread your line out. Shield for a significant amount of time. Try to move the others around for surrounds and that sort of stuff. But you're mainly just trying to give Alindal time to do his thing, to charge heroes, to kill them off, to charge troops, to kill them off, to charge anything and kill them off. So that's your main tactic with that. You don't, sometimes you won't even engage your basic troops. You'll just hold them back, let them, let them not fight for a turn just to give Alindal more time. Because if you're not fighting, you can't die unless you get shot at or something. But sometimes it's helpful just to pull them back. And if the enemy doesn't charge you, don't charge back. Just put a Lindell in, maybe a couple friends, and just keep going every turn. Make the game go as long as possible. For If you don't have a Lindell, you've got totally different tactics. You've got uh, an army that, with this, with their fight and strength four, their troops can do a huge amount of work. Your heroes aren't going to do lots of heroic combats. They're going to basically make sure that they're doing heroic things and taking on other heroes. So you've really got to make sure you work those traps and, and keep your army moving Sometimes you'll abandon your spear formation just so you can get around the enemy flanks. Be afraid to make little shield walls and defend if you have to, but it's basic troop tactics at that point. Yeah, and don't be afraid to like look for um, parts of the battlefield, particularly around terrain features, where you can um, kind of set up these like little bunkers for your uh, Numenorians. So mitigate the amount of models that you can charge in your Numenorians at any one time, and keep them kind of almost in a not not like all clustered up into one into one big blob, but set up in such a way where it's not easy for your opponent to get you know two or three models um, into your Numenorians at a time. You know, in between buildings, keeping terrain anchoring your flanks and just generally being annoying and using your models in such a way that uh they can't they can't be killed on mass so preventing heroes from getting into two models and you know small little things like that and if you keep doing that over and over and over again like jeremy um was saying we keep buying time for a lendil you'll find that you'll actually do that because if you, you can save an extra Numenorian here or there every so often, eventually you'll actually buy yourself on, you know, a whole turn because those, you know, three or four models that you've saved over the period of three or four turns ends up allowing your force to go on an extra turn that they wouldn't have normally otherwise been able to continue on with. And then because you've got such good courage, don't be afraid to get down to the end game where you're both broken because once again, you're still using the same tactics. You're giving your Lindell time. Don't be in a hurry. Once you get broken to to try and finish off the game just keep playing your strategy make sure you're on the objectives or doing whatever the mission says you're supposed to do and just keep playing the alindal as long as he's alive he's doing work if he loses his horse who cares he's still good on foot he can still do work and if he's killing two three models a turn or even less than that even even one model a turn he's really doing doing his work yeah especially if that one model is um slingshotting the rest of your army so one thing one trick that's really 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 useful when playing with Alendal and Numenor army is using him almost to speed up the rest of your army through her at combats so you play him out on the flank you charge a corner guy, you make as much room for, you know, your basic troops as possible to get into that one combat, heroic combat, push your lender into more combats, but then push the 
the, the rest of your kind of infantrymen that are out on the flank more forward. And it's really, really good when you've got um, other heroes on, on the flanks uh, with you as well to like almost, you know, speed up these massive heroes like your captains and Isildur pushing them further down the field and onto objectives. It's really, really, really uh, frustrating to have to deal with because it keeps happening every single turn. Mm, absolutely. Now, the way to, to stop this, the way to stop a Lindil or a Isildur or anyone going nuts on you is to put something in that they have trouble killing. Tactic was, um, our favorite was Dwarf, uh, the, the Lords, essentially, the Defense 9 guys. Now it's going to be a bit tougher because of the fight and, oh, sorry, the Strength 5, but something that takes a long time to get through, charging those heroes and then going every single warrior against their warriors and trying to do a kills as quickly as possible is a good counter tactic. Uh, so try that or try just avoiding Elindil, the old Halo tactic where he's got six and a half inches around him if he's on foot or ten and a half inches around him if he's on horse where nothing enters. Just stay away from that zone at all costs and let them waste their might trying to do heroic moves to get into combat. I'd like to go you one better, Jeremy, in terms of uh, trying to um, shut down Elendil and, and stopping him from having big imp a big impact on the game. If you can get a sneaky hell off with one of your monsters, if you can line it up well, uh, if you have priority or something, to knock Elendil off his horse, that can be a really, really good way of dealing with him and at least slowing him down for a turn or two because knocking him prone off his horse, you know, delays him a turn for doing kills and potentially a second turn if you uh, can jump on him and keep him pinned to the ground while he's pruned. But on top of that, we have a really cool new heroic action called Heroic Defense. And there are a lot of really good heroes in the game that can get in front of um, Elendil and just kind of um, just intercept him for a turn. A lot of the goblin heroes like Durbers and Groblog are really good at doing this and some of the orc heroes are also quite good at doing this. Anything with heroic defense is a great intercept hero just to slow him down for, just for a few turns. Just on Three. the hurl, on the hurl um, idea of just hurling into a Lendl, in theory that's fine, but because he's got that free heroic combat, it's actually, I imagine it would be very difficult to line that up. Be sometimes you want to do it when he's not in combat. So one way you can do it is to basically at all times shoot into his combat, get as many archers and things as you can in there, knock him out if you can, and then he can't move. So it takes a bit of setup. Mm, yeah. yeah, and by no no means it's it's an easy thing to pull off. But if you have a, like a, a troll chieftain or particularly a foul beast, um, or something even Gulvar, anything any of those kind of models that can position a model in uh, your army to line up with a lender and get that hurl line can can be very good and sometimes even just going for the 50 50 uh, on your own heroic combat to try and uh, hit him first uh can be worth it at times as well so i i have i have a, a theoretical idea here let's say uh you decide nah elendil pretty average don't want to take him isildur nah don't need him. What kind of tactics would you use in a Numenor list where you're going spam, where you're going captains and just the Numenorean warriors? Where is David where you need him? <laughs> He's your old captain. The one with the warriors, <laughs> you're playing just almost your standard Lord of the Rings game where you're softening up with shooting as much as possible. Anything that you don't want to take in combat, you shoot out 
or put every shot you can in to soften up. So trolls, heroes on horses, anything like that. Uh, make sure you've got your shield wall going. Make sure you're setting up so that you take on the enemy in an advantageous position. So either in terrain or in a place where you can wrap your flanks around and trap them. You've got good fight five heroes. So you might want them to go after enemy heroes if they're fight four or lower. Try to take them out and then your infantry should be able to take out basic infantry pretty well if you're not playing too badly. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because there's so many things now. And of course, we'll be discussing this in future episodes, but there are so many things now that would almost be like almost have impunity against an army like that i feel i, I don't know I, I think it's probably as small or as least effective now as it has been at any time which is really interesting i, I remember years ago uh uh someone named hicksont on the forum on on last alliance and probably other forums uh who i now know is named uh tim hickson and you can find him on gbhl he's still active i think uh he would discuss these kind of armies where it's just generic heroes and warriors and how to get the most out of it uh it's really interesting now because i mean that's the the basic idea of the game and, and the the basis of the entire game and i feel like in terms of effectiveness it's as low as it's ever been which is interesting not sure about that that you don't feel that way there but uh well not so much i i just it, it feels a lot like the edition before the hobbit where yeah like you have to know what to do with your basic troops and positioning your troops is huge and uh, there's lots of movements there people forgot about that for a little while it felt like the heroes did everything and i think i think you've still got a viable army you're gonna have a lot of guys you're gonna have fight for and strength for across the board is pretty good you've got banners you've got spears you've got decent bowmen you've got an army that that's functional and if you play say just avoidance on anything that's really good like the big heroes you can probably do okay you've got a fair bit of might as well i think it's still quite viable i don't know if you want to because i think there's so much fun in the big heroes now but yeah, yeah, I, I think I, I, that's that's right. what it's really about. I think, yeah, fair point. Okay, yeah, I agree with um, <clears throat> Jeremy's point there wholeheartedly in in regards to the game feeling a bit like I uh, used to, you know, back in uh, the late uh, noughties, early tens, the the legions whatever, era, teens, yeah. Yeah, the Legion's era, basically, where with the old blueback book where, you know, heroic combat was reigning supreme and you needed to know how to, to, to play your basic troops. But I think one of the key uh, differences between then and now is that we've had this period of hero-centric dominance. So we've gotten really good at playing with, you know, the big heroes and, and the heroes that are really powerful. And if we can take those skills and apply them to, to these kind of armies like Numenor, we should should be able to get a lot out of them and it shouldn't revert back to how it used how the game used to play and used to feel like but it should have some similarities so we shouldn't we shouldn't be going backwards in terms of meta i guess is the the, the long short of what i'm trying to say yeah i i feel like the the race before middle earth sbg I feel like the the dominant playstyle was around buffs. So I, I wouldn't have said so much it was about it was hero centric necessarily, but more it was it was heroes really providing their troops with uh, that power and, and nullifying enemy heroes. I feel like that was what it was all about. So now I feel like um, it's a little bit harder to get away with that because some of the heroes are so strong that it, it, it's not as important. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it depends on where you're playing. And throughout the whole whole of this game, you've been really rewarded for knowing how to use your basic troops. If your heroes can 
can do what they do, most of their job is to buff troops. It is to make them better. It is to give them that movement when they need it. It is to give them that combat when they need it. So this is an army where your base troops can match it with anyone's base troops. They are really on par at least. Maybe against elves, they might be at a slight disadvantage, but the strength four helps quite a bit against defense six elves. So you've got an army that can match it troop for troop with some some powerful heroes and that includes the captains these are good captains they're high strength they're high fight they're high courage they're, they're definitely they've got good equipment they're good captains these captains are on par with named heroes and some of the other forces so you can definitely play with it with this list i'm sure honestly jeremy um just circling back to when you when you're saying that the numenor troops are on par with any other i would say i don't think that they they go below par i think every single other kind of mainstream army that you could put on the table they will either be above par grossly above par or on par with those troops i think the only troop type that i could think could go head to head with numenor and kind of probably more likely than not come on top and that's urukai because urukai can do what numenor can do better I, I, that's interesting you say that that's interesting you say that because I, I feel like in a head-to-head matchup the numerons actually have the advantage because they're slightly cheaper and, and they do effectively the same thing <clears throat> against urukai uh i would counter that by saying urukai can go three ranks deep and they have berserkers oh yeah for sure no, no, no that I, i'm just saying a head-to-head matchup between warriors of numenor and just urukai warriors like yeah i yeah, I, I feel I, like I would, the numenorians would, have the edge there right no I, I'd, I'd say it would be straight up 50-50, flip a coin, see who, see who wins. Sure. I think it, at that point, it's coming down to who who's using the heroes better. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yep, good, good, good. Well, there's some strategies, I think. Yep, definitely some things to think about. There was one little trick I wanted to quickly talk about that I've kind of been waiting just a bit to jump in with. So we were talking about, we've been talking about Orlando a whole bunch, and that's pretty obvious because it's Numenor. But there's one trick that we haven't really touched on, and that's um, one of my favorite little kind of like uh, combat tricks called the yo-yo. Um, is I kind of coined this kind of idea for a trick with um, Aragorn uh, when playing a, a lot of Aragorn-centric lists uh, and then kind of developed it and moved it into Numenor as well. So basically the idea is you have your, your battle line sitting, you know, just outside a charge range of your opponent's army, you know, six and a half inches away. And on a turn when you lose priority, you send a Lendl straight into their line, heroic combat, and then instead of consolidating back into those combats, retreating back to the safety of your own lines. And I've done this quite a few times with Aragorn and Lendl, especially it works especially well against dwarves and goblins, because they're only move five, and I hobbits that i would suppose as well but it really kind of puts your opponent on the back foot and forces them to be proactive because you can just sit there going in killing two models a turn jumping back out killing going in killing two models a turn jumping back out and they can't actually kind of get to a lender or, or touch him in any meaningful way and it can be really frustrating can force your opponent to make bad choices because a lender is constantly you know jumping uh in and out of combat constantly yeah for sure i remember you using that with aragorn uh over the years and yeah it's 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 a tough thing to fight against it's a interesting tactic that i haven't seen too many people use so um, i'm glad you brought that up that's something people should be aware of I don't use it because i fail in heroic combat so i end up with the hero just getting surrounded <laughs> by everyone else yeah and, and you know you could get your horse shot out as well if you're fighting against an evil army so there's a risk to it still but 
it, yeah, there, there's always a risk to it. There's always a risk you're going to botch it. But if, you, if you're going in with full stats three mites and you're fully prepared to throw the three might at a botch, most of the time you'll come out on top. And if you have your army in such a position where you are ready to kind of follow up if things go really, really badly wrong, you'll generally find that um, you, you're not really ever in a, a lose-lose situation or a lose-win situation. It's generally a win-win. And if worse comes to worse, you can always pop a heroic defense and laugh your way out of trouble. Yeah, that's true, actually. Even if he gets surrounded, he's not too worried. More the... Yeah, that's true. I just wouldn't want to lose the horse. Yeah, that's the main thing, hey? Hmm. Well, good tactics good tac discussion, yeah. All right, so are we going to get straight into Scenario Spotlight? Yes, I think we do. Scenario Spotlight. At the moment, in the current edition of Middle-Earth Strategy Battle Game, we have a scenario with Minor in it. In the Middle-Earth book, Armies of Lord of the Rings? Yes, that's the one. There has been throughout the editions lots and lots of Last Alliance. We've got a current one, and it's a good one. We have... The Last Alliance with a Lindor, a Sildor, a huge amount of guys. I think it's 36 Warriors of Numenor. And then an equal amount of Elves against a very large Orc army that keeps coming back, led by Sauron. We've played through this scenario, haven't we, fellows? Yeah, a couple yeah. of times. Yeah. One, yeah. I like it. <laughs> I, I like thought it. it was pretty I've good. I've heard that it's impossible. No, 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 it's a great scenario. I just wish I had known going in uh, that the scenario is very, very, very difficult to win as the good side, and you have to constantly be playing, like, top-notch game, because I kind of, like, just thought it was, like, every other Last Alliance scenario that we've ever played, which is, you know, not times out of ten the uh the good side win just because you know they have the, the big four but um no this one you really have to think about it and you really have to play uh smart straight from the get-go i also wish really you had known that because when we played our first game uh we were both playing the good side and i had the numenori oh no i had the elves sorry you had the elves yeah. and i had the numenori yeah and i said kylie what do you think? Should we maximize our banner usage? Because I had the elf banner. Perhaps it would be best uh, behind Elendil. Elendil, who really uh, is the most effective one in terms of winning fights, and Gilgalad's already got his extra dice, so why don't we chuck that? No, I I've got my Numenorians over here. You can put your elves over there. Just do what you want, Matt. Yep. That was an interesting like start to that scenario. <laughs> Having played, like, the other five or four like five or six variants of the last alliance scenario is going into that going oh yeah it's the last alliance scenario the good are probably going to win just because they're good and then you know playing through that game realizing oh siren comes on a lot, lot earlier than the other scenarios oh siren spells are a lot nastier now oh siren's running away from us ah right ah i see we're on the back foot from the t yeah. from the get-go <laughs> we have to really go at him like hard and play smart and envelop him and entrap him all those things that, ah. we, that we went doing <laughs> probably should have done deployment better eh? yeah <laughs> and then the orcs were teleporting all the way back to to guard uh, sauron and oh uh, yeah, yeah the, the, mm. the re the, the regenerating orcs is like complete miscalculation on our part but uh yes yeah. it was yeah it was just funny because i've actually been asked by quite a few people 
about how you win with the evil side in this this one because they've said that the good side is really heavily favoured and I think it's because a lot of their evil players tend to be really aggressive with Sauron to go forward. No. You, you don't need to. You don't no. need to at all. You can stay back with the orcs and let the uh, the good side come at you. So that's the first thing I say and it makes makes sense. The good side has to chase down Sauron. Otherwise, he'll just... Uh, what's it? Sit at the back of the bowl throwing one dice chill souls at heroes every single turn. Every single turn, yeah. Free chill souls every turn. You're going to win it eventually. I managed to take down Isildur with that, even with the resistance to magic, because you have to roll so high to, to get the wound that it's it, it's a good real... It's a really good yeah. option. Plus, your orc captain shipping off two wounds early on uh, didn't help things either. Alendor helped botching, me a lot. Uh, Alendor botching several combats didn't help either. Oh my god, you I botched so many combats. Holy cow. But yeah, as you point out, Jeremy, it's the evil side has all of the sustainability in the scenario. So yeah. the good side really has to uh, to move fast. They have to get on yeah. the front foot. Run at yeah. them. Run at them. Run at them. Run at them. Yeah. Where's and stay the, together. The... Keep your heroes together. Make a little assassination pack and go at Sauron while you've still got heaps of elves left. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I noticed, like the difference from, from previous uh, Last Alliance and Ashes, this is the first one that you really have to be aggressive because previous Last Alliance scenarios have been about okay you're you're playing as a good side you need to conserve your resources conserve your might will and fate so that when you go at sauron you have all the tools at your disposal you don't want to blow through all your might too early on you kind of almost keep the heroes at the back you know taking on a couple of orcs at a time but in this one they like need to be like charging two orcs down a turn hacking and slashing their way through all the orcs and stuff really putting pressure just to get to sauron because the orcs bloody keep coming back they do. They come back with lots of blood. Well, mine do. So I really like this scenario. It takes a long time to play because you've got so many models on the board, but it feels like the last alliance. Like there's a huge amount of men in Numenor. The men in Numenor absolutely rip through orcs. They kill hundreds of them, but it's not enough. No, we, I think Although, we calculated a lot during that game. We killed over 200 orcs with the good side before mm -hmm. we... We called it quits, and I think that's that's saying something. It's saying you killed over two hundred yeah, orcs. Yeah, it's saying that's a lot of dead orcs. Yeah, and probably not an effective use of combat potential. I think that's what that's saying. <laughs> but yeah, oh, yeah, yes, it doesn't matter how many orcs you kill in the scenario at all. It doesn't nope. make a difference. So uh, I will say that that's the only time I've played it, and the evil side won. All the other side times, the good side won. So we're talking about that game because that's the one that the three of us played. But I've played it quite a few times, and yes, as the good side, if you take your heroes and basically run at Sauron as quickly as possible, there's not a lot he can do. But you have to bring those troops with you. You have to really keep them going and basically just push through, kill things as quickly as possible once you're near Sauron, and then do everything you can to wrap around him so the orcs can't support. So if you can cut the orc support off, you're all good. I think it's interesting how the Mordor Trolls can be used because I, I think you actually want to actively avoid the heroes with them. I think you want to just try and kill as many troops as you can with those trolls. Greed and using them as anchors essentially on the flanks to try and mitigate the damage there. Just just pick off some elves and some, some men a turn and don't let them die to Gilgalad. Yeah. Yeah, that's worst case scenario. Uh, uh, same with the captains as well. If if Gilgalad kills a captain, you've done something wrong, I think. You use the captains as basically heroic moves and then they die. They don't do a whole lot else. Yeah, else. yeah. Just don't give Gilgalad that free might. That's what I'm saying. Agreed. Agreed. Avoid yeah. Gilgalad with those. So yeah, that's a good target for the chill soul, but he's still tough. 
Mm. Did you ever end up, because you probably, I mean, I never got to use Sauron, so did, does Sauron end up targeting Elendil at all? Do you bother with it? Or do you just... I did was yeah? in with Elendil and, what's the other one, Gilgalad as the first wave. So Elrond and Isildur were basically just like holding the line and making sure that those two went in. So if one of them died, the other one got the free heroics. So if Elendil died, yeah, 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 Isildur yeah, yeah. gets free strikes. If Gilgalad dies, Elrond gets it. And they were threatening enough that Sauron ended up spending all his might trying to stay alive against them. Out of might, you can really use your might to, to cut off the orc. So I basically walled out um, with the other heroes. Other times I lost, it might have been Gilgalad or Elendil. And I think the other time I lost the other one. So I think I lost a hero each time. I don't think I've beaten it with all four heroes still alive. But once I feel like Sauron, even versing Gilgalad or Elendil, ends up spending all his resources, you have to be really conservative with him. You don't want to fight them. And then once he's out of resources, you can pretty much have a good go at him and, and cut the orcs off because you can kill them pretty quickly. And once you do, you just wrap around him when you have priority. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because clearly they've geared the scenario. And I think it's actually really well written to have it that way, to have it, yeah, Ele obviously Elendil and Gilgalad want to be going in first. They've got the best chance of killing and you get an advantage even if they do die. And yeah, as, as you said, you, uh, no scenarios that you played uh, ended with all four heroes alive, and that's exactly what happened, of course, in the uh, in the story. So I, I think it's just a, a quite a well-written scenario from a thematic standpoint. Yes, oh, I agree. I really like this. This is my favourite version of The Last Alliance by far, and mm. it's probably the only one that I've played that uh, works like as, as what you'd expect. It really does work well. It's thematic. It's epic. Some of the others just were too quick. You came in and you... you killed off everything so quickly and then it was just four heroes into Sauron and then just the waiting game until he failed. This one, once you do get to him, you throw so many wounds on him that he's he's really shaking and hoping he doesn't get the ones. Yeah, do, uh, anything else that we have to say about the scenario? It's a it's a pretty simple one, isn't it? And you don't need 200 orcs for it, which is definitely a plus. But you think you need 72 orcs, so it's still a fair commitment. And oh, yeah. 72 or so Warriors of the Last Alliance, you're committing a fair bit to it. But I strongly recommend getting a club together and having a go at this scenario. It's really good fun. It works well as a four-player game if you can communicate well. It's probably a little bit quicker as a two-player game just because you don't have to have the arguments. But it is <laughs> a lot of fun to have someone controlling the elves, someone controlling the men. Yeah, having that, that real sort of battle of wills and arguments and like you would in a real alliance. Yeah, one, one thing I wanted to um, ask is... I, in, in scenarios in the past, the war gear was sort of left up to you, but in here I can see it's very clearly laid out, like exactly what every model has. Uh, how do you feel about that, Jeremy? The better the better. I, I like it. We can always sub out guys if you don't have them, but I don't like it when sometimes we've had to have arguments over whether a model had a horse or whether they had a sword or whether they've had this and that. And to, the, the more clarity, the better. I want to know what the rider's intention is, and then I can change it later and I can add equipment into. But I, I much prefer to have it laid out exactly what equipment it also gives you a good idea what to paint. So I know when I'm playing the scenario, I paint these models up. The scenarios were a shopping list for me. So Games Workshop made so much money off me just for these scenarios. So one scenario spotlight down, many more to come. I know our viewers are very all excited scenario about spotlights all yeah. the time. Yes. <laughs> they are. They are. I know. Every single one of them. Even the ones that don't listen are excited. All right. So we might move right on along to our next segment. Mustering an up. Oh, 
Okay, so we're getting into some lists now. We know this is what everyone's been waiting for. Everyone wants to know what we think is going to be uh, an interesting choice, perhaps, uh, at tournaments or with casual play. And I'm going to start off with a 400-point list that I've written. So uh, I don't know how small tournaments get around the world, but certainly we've had uh, tournaments that have been run at 400 points and many different points levels around that area. Interestingly, Numenor works quite well, I think, at the 400 points level. So what I've got is my leader, Isildur, with a horse, a shield, and barring a bad matchup, he'll also have the ring. In his warband, he's got four Warriors of Numenor with shield, four Warriors of Numenor with spear and shield, and four Warriors of Numenor with bow. And there's one other warband in this list, and that is, of course, a Captain of Numenor. Now, I think I initially rode him without any uh, upgrades at all, and then I changed it. Yes, so I've actually sort of got two different lists here. This one has no upgrades on the Captain. It is just a Captain on foot nothing extra, and he's got three Warriors of Numenor with shield, four Warriors of Numenor with spear and shield, and four Warriors of Numenor with bow. So in this list, I've got a total of 25 models. The Captain of Numenor has no upgrades whatsoever. Now, I wrote a different list where the Captain actually has all of the upgrades. In that case, you have to drop another three models. So you only have 22, which is uh, it's not terrible at 400, I think. I think that's an okay number, but uh, it is on the lower 100. side. Yeah, I, I think it's on the lower side, though. I think, But you, you do have an Isildur, and Isildur, with the ring, can potentially take on anything. And, and he starts off with a horse, of course. So, uh, yeah, he, he's a very, very strong character at that points level. True, true, true. No banner? No banner, yep. I, I thought about it. It's another three models. You can do it. Uh, you drop to either 22 with no equipment on the captain or... 19 uh but in if you do that you're gonna have pretty much all spear shields on your warriors on, on the ones that have shields you, you yeah, get to add a few it. more spears yeah so yep so between like 19 and 25 models at 400 points uh depending on how much you want to upgrade the captain and whether you want a banner so look it, it's a pretty decent list i think I, I think it works quite well at 400 isildur can take on just about anything really uh the fact that he has strike, of course, means that the kind of monsters that are going to show up at 400 shouldn't be too much of a problem. The biggest thing you're going to really see is a cave drake or a troll chief. You know, yeah, imagine. something like that. And and of course, uh, do, do troll chiefs have heroic strike? They most certainly do, but Ooh, not yeah, that you okay. care because you have a big fancy ring. You have a ring, so you know what? You run up against a troll chief and you're probably hopping off the horse. Probably. Yeah, interesting, the ring interesting choice. Work on horse. I, that's what Sorry. I understand, yeah. Is that correct, Kylie? Or have I got that wrong? Yeah, if you put the ring on whilst you're on horse, you get thrown. Yeah, yeah. That's so, fine. Yeah, you, you do it. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, in a case like that, you would probably would hop off to uh, to take on a troll chief. You can't do fight a Kylie troll special. chief on horseback anyway. <laughs> do the Kylie special, yes. Yeah, not much that a Sildor can't take on at that points level. Reasonable numbers, uh, a few bows in there just in case. Yeah, like not a bad list. No, I like it. I really like it, actually. But I would definitely go for the elite one with the spearmen and the bows. Yeah, yeah. All, all, all uh, three lists had six bows in there, maximum no, bows. Sorry, not bows. Spears and the banner. Banner. I would take the banner. The banner, yeah. So, 19 models, 
fully upgraded captain and a banner in there as well. And I think you end up with, I want to say, 12 spear shields and six bows. Yeah, it's not bad. Not bad. Not bad, not bad at all. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So I had, uh, I was going to write a 750 list. So kind of like a tournament standard type list. So if, you, if you're looking at slightly more competitive kind of an army. And yeah, I'll just jump straight into it. So to start off, we got uh, Alendil with the kitchen sink. So horse and shield coming in at a whopping 200 points. And in his warband, we have eight shield, eight shield spear, and one banner. Warriors and Numenor. In warband two? two uh, just the banner. Just, just the banner. By itself. Yep. No shield on there? No. Nah. Who needs it? Well, you, you'll find it. Like, just the way the points ended up landing. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Fair it's, enough. It's, it's whatever. It's just he ended up without a shield. Who cares? He dies. Like, dude with shield picks it off. Um, so, Warband 2 is a Captain Anunmanor with, uh, again, a kitchen sink, uh, horse, lance, and shields. Uh, in his Warband, he has seven Warriors Anunmanor with shield spear, five Warriors Anunmanor with bow. In the final Warband, Warband number three, we have another Captain Anunmanor with uh, horse, lance, and shield, three Warriors Anunmanor. Numenor with shield spear and nine with bow. So that last warband's a bit more artillery shooting support kind of warband. Oh, uh, I was thinking about adding in a sealed or, and I was thinking, oh, would that make the list more competitive having a sealed or? But for the price of um, downgrading a sealed or to a captain, I can pick up another seven models, which brings our total model count to 44. Um, and nearly max warbands. Like I can only fit one more model into this army to to kind of get to to to, to max warbands. And I think with Numenor, like kind of like what we discussed earlier, having a really nice big model count army is is really impactful because you can just constantly keep forcing your opponent. And with forty four models, even at seven fifty points, I think a lot of players, if they took this kind of a list, will find they actually outnumber their opponent simply simply for the fact that a lot of players, you know, they want to take double fell beast. Uh, Troll Chieftain or, you know, Glorfindel and Elrond, lots of big heroes. And by taking lots of big heroes or big high impact models, they sacrifice on their model count. And because Strike isn't as common anymore, the captains can deal with some of those mid-range heroes like Faramirs and stuff and at least hold them up for a couple of turns. And if lucky, maybe get in there and take one out on the charge with the Lance and the Strength 4 uh, troops behind him. Uh, 44 is good at 750, especially yeah. with Melendo. Like I, I think it's heat. very good, yeah. yeah. Yeah, very strong numbers. Like, it would go, the model count would go down to 37 if you took a sealed all. But uh, I'm just kind of like looking looking at the list, looking how kind of people play a lot, and especially now that big heroes cost a lot more. I think if you're playing something like a 750-point game, an 800-point game, even a 700-point game, if you can get over that 40-model army count, I think you're in a really, really strong sweet spot because I think that's when an army really starts to shine especially if you've got high quality troops like Numenor does if you can get over that 40 model mark you suddenly put a lot of pressure on those players who are you know taking 30 30 35 models or, or so in their army because they want to take the, the witch king shade birdo combo that just you know is just a massive point sink into your army yeah totally agree I, I think that's definitely uh, a solid strategy with Numenor and how to run them and and you know army stolen <laughs> no 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 you can't steal it i wanted to run it first no no well 
it's too late now. God You've said damn it. Damn it. <laughs> Did you feel like when you were writing the list, Alendal was just a gimme? Yeah. At this, at, like, if you're playing, like, I think competitively at, like, like wanting to take Numenor to a tournament, I think Alendal straight into the bag. Like, unbending resolve, like, straight up is just amazing. And it's just, it just makes almost your, your, your big leader untouchable. And then you throw in Alendal and played smart and played creatively. Alendal can just, you know, kill four guys a turn and just suddenly put heaps of pressure and like you got you got a couple of like flexible options with it too like i'm looking at like a lendil two captain hitting into the middle of an opponent's shield wall and going right heroic combat from a lendil heroic combat from the captain and just merping 12 guys and taking him off the table mm. do you feel that you might miss uh, having not taken a sildor you might miss the greater uh, resistant to magic bubble or do you think you can work around that um, with the captains probably that's probably the biggest case i could see for having a sealer in there that said i don't see the magic going anywhere other than a, a lendil and the captains and i think you want to be keeping the captains around a lendil to begin with anyway because you know that plus one dice to resist spells the spells are going at the heroes like most of the time they're not going at the troops and if they're going at troops it's because they're really really far away from from kind of the main battle and the main skirmish where the resistant magic probably isn't going to come into effect anyway. Mm. Could you see yourself using a, uh, a burnout tactic? With the two yeah guys. definitely yeah. and i could also see uh the army playing a bit slower too and i can also see the army dumping the four marches in some games just to get to an opponent two turns quicker in those scenarios where you got to slog it across the table yeah for sure i i feel like probably a lot of armies won't go the double captain and maybe missing those extra marches or that p potentially that third march i reckon could be interesting i don't know yeah i feel, I feel yeah. like marches <laughs> marches just become so much more of an interesting uh action now that not everyone can do it same strike I'd yeah, say, I, yeah i i still really love it i still think it's like whenever i write army list now i i have to have some sort of speed i like just me as a player i always need to have some sort of mobility in my list and if i'm taking an infantry army i need to make sure i have a march and i've been playing around with some armies with jeremy lately and one of my like biggest things i constantly keep saying is man i wish i had a march oh, well. i always move away from kylie just to annoy you <laughs> uh good good list i like it yeah Thank you. I, like it. I like it. Yeah. Okay. I have got the best list ever. Ever. Number one. Without a doubt. I've gone for a big list. So I've just taken the tournament standard of 1,500 points and put in... I had to, had to make some tough choices at this point. So <laughs> this is what I've got. I've got Alendal with everything, of course, because I think I could just fit him in at 1,500. He's leading a banner one with the full kit, Spear Shield. He's got five warriors with shield and nine with spear and shield. So a nice block of infantry. Uh, 15 of the models out of 18. Not everyone, but that's okay. I've managed to fit in a Sildor. I just got him in at 1,500. I feel like I've got him in because of the extra magic bubble. I know I don't get the ring, but he should be okay. He's got a horse and shield. He's got a Numenorian. Same thing with a banner. He's got five Numenorians with shield and eight with spear and shield. So 14 in his warband. Nice, solid warband as well. Very similar to Alindil's. Then warband three. Warband three and four are actually identical. So they are a captain of Numenor of horse, lance, heavy armor, shield. So that's the kitchen sink. We haven't been including the bow when we do that. It's the combat captain. They each lead five warriors of Numenor of shield and five with spear and shield. So the tough choice here was I couldn't bulk out these warbands and get all the captains I wanted. So I've cut it down to 10. <laughs> then warbands five and six have a captain of Numenor 
with horse and bow. So this is this is my favorite like aesthetic combination because it gives you something you don't have in the list. It's got a captain riding around with a bow on horse, doing recon, capturing objectives, dancing around, heroic combating, doing all kinds of fun things. And they each lead 10 warriors of Numenor with bow. So just some small warbands on the flank with some bow, uh, <laughs> just, to, just to give me some shooting off. So I have 1,500. I've got 81 units, which is a little bit lower that, at that point level, but I think it's okay. I think I should be able to hold my own. Um, I should be able to get the game done in like three and a half hours, so it should be good. I, I'm really impressed you managed to fit both Isildur and Elendil in. That must have been tough for you, but you, you pulled it off. <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting, uh, just in terms of model count. It uh, it almost it scaled linearly. I think I had about twenty, Kylie forty five odd, and you had eighty. Is that right? One, yeah, yeah. It's very very close. Yeah. Um, and because I've got a Sildor, I've had a bit of a penalty there, so I could drop it down if I wanted to. If I mm. wanted to be really conservative, I've also got a thousand point version, which might actually be used in a competitive sense. This one's for those like arranged scenarios where you go. I want to play a big game. Let's play 1,500. I'm bringing my Numenor. You bring your Orcs. Let's go. So the, the cut-down version, which may be useful for our listeners, has Elendil with the shield guy. Sorry, the banner guy. Spear, shield, banner. Seven with shield. Eight with spear, shield. So a big warband. 16 in that warband. A Sildor. So I managed to fit both of them in 1,000 uh, with full stuff. Uh, six warriors with shield. Seven with spear, shield. So once again, pure combat. And then my third warband is a combat captain, horse lance shield, and 12 bowmen. The idea is this captain leaves it and joins the Lendil, and the bowmen stay behind and capture objectives, yeah. do shooting. Um, that's 50 models. So that's reasonably light on at 1,000. I don't know. That fits our, yeah. fits our rule of about, yeah, uh, um, about one, right. model, one model per 20 points for Numenor. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, I mean, it's not too surprising, I guess, because of the way that um, the, the, the lack of options, I suppose. But... Gosh, they work at almost any points level, don't they? That's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to judge at fifteen hundred, but certainly uh, the other three. Yeah, I could see myself using any of those lists. No, they're yeah. all very playable. Um, I've had quite a bit of experience. They all look good lists to me. Yeah, how many uh, bows did you have? Sorry, at a thousand. I've got Just twelve. Twelve. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, it's, 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 I don't think you need to max both. No. I had I, way I, more I in my agree. 750 list at 14. Yeah, and I had six in all the variations of my list, so I just left six of them in there because I'm like, you need at least a handful. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's not a... Not using as much. Yeah, it, it's just that they're, they're not overly impressive in terms of bow fire, so why why max, you know, I guess? But, Quick uh, question, how many handy. spear shields did you have in your list? Which one? The thousand point? Uh, just whatever point. Um... I've got a thousand. I've got fifteen spear shield, thirteen sh shields, and twelve bow. I tend to when I'm actually running, and then I can make the points work. Like the optimal list, I tend to have two spear shields for every shield. But honestly, if I was going to run them like a full competitive, I might even consider not bothering with the shield guys at all and just going spear shield with everyone possible, even if I have to drop a guy because the spear shield warbands are so useful. And mm. from the books, they were renowned for their spears and renowned for their bows. So yeah, I make sense. Actually, as you, it's like that kind of rule that you said, Jeremy, I've got 20 spear shields and eight shields. And the only reason why I have eight shields is because I couldn't quite fit, make the one extra point fit to, to give them all shields. Uh, shield spears. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I, I really, I really like that ratio that Kylie just described, like eight to twenty. I, I f always feel like I wish I had more spears. Mm. It, it just tends it's to just, work out that way, especially with spear shields. Like we've talked about this on and on on the past, but just that ability to 
one, create that defensive wall that you can just pivot on a moment's notice, like you don't care where they are. Two, no matter who gets charged, can can um, shield and push back enemy troops. And three, if you're up against those pesky courage armies, you can always just take courage just to one guy passes, throw another guy in there to be support behind and be really annoying with that kind of shield wall formation. Yeah, this is why I fully expect Glaives to take the top spot in the meta shortly, once it settles down a bit. Everyone will realize, yep, Glaives, Glaives, OP. You've been straight. saying that for ages. Oh, I have. You've been saying that for ages. Yeah, and it will happen eventually. For one day. <laughs> yeah. Matt's going to be the only one playing the game, and he's going to say, I'm going to run all Glaives against no one, and yeah. he's going to be right. And I'll be right, I'll, number one list. Okay, so so that was sort of our discussion just in terms of the pure Numenorean list, no allies whatsoever. Now we're gonna we're gonna delve into some allies options. So we've each written a 750 point list with allies. So I'll start well, off. Well, mine's not mine's not 750. Oh, sorry. How many points did you but go? It's allied. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. How many how many uh, points? I went to 650. Yours? 650. That's okay. All right. So I I've written a 750 point list with green allies. The obvious choice is, of course, a Last Alliance list, and that's exactly what I've written. So, at 750 the only points... Green choice. Yeah, well, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, at 750 points, I have taken... Elendil. As Kylie mentioned, you pretty much have to take Elendil. Elendil is amazing. At that points level, that's exactly what you want. We have Elendil who may or may not be the leader. We'll get into that in a minute. He has with him two Warriors of Numenor with shield, four Warriors of Numenor with spear and shield, three Warriors of Numenor with bow, and one Warrior of Numenor with a banner. I'm sure the first thing you're thinking is, that's not a very big warband. It's not a very warband for a hero of legend, and there's a very good reason for that. That's not a very big warband for a hero of legend. Yeah, exactly. That's I I could just hear that I I knew exactly what everybody was thinking at that moment. There's a good reason for that because warband number two is in fact Gilgalad, High King of the Elves, with a horse and a shield as well. He has three high elf warriors with shield, three high elf warriors with spear and shield, and three high elf warriors with bow. I've gone with both of the kings, and that actually does not leave a lot of wiggle room. The last warband is a Captain of Numenor for that sweet, sweet march. He has fully upgraded the combat captain with horse, lance, heavy armor, shield, two warriors of Numenor with shield, four warriors of Numenor with spear shield, two warriors of Numenor with bow. The numbers were very difficult to keep up once I decided that I was going to go with both of the kings. It's not easy, and as Kylie was mentioning earlier, this is something I actually expect a lot of people to sort of test out, to, to mess around with a bit, because they're so much fun to use these big heroes. And I've used Gilgalad. He was the first hero I said, yep, yeah, I'm using this guy. In my very first game of Middle-Earth SBG a few months back, I immediately used him and loved him. He's fantastic. So would recommend him absolutely. And pairs quite well with Elendil. Elendil chops through troops and can combat into heroes and, and keep moving. And Gilgalad loves that slingshot if he can get it with Elendil into the heroes to get that free might point and, and can slingshot himself and can move around. Oh, as a pair, they're almost unstoppable. Fantastic pair of models. So yeah, the, the total number of warrior, uh, total number of models, yeah, only 30 models at 750 points. Definitely, definitely on the low side. You absolutely wouldn't want to get any lower, I'd imagine. Just the single banner, but 
two absolute beasts of heroes. So what do you guys think? Uh, I, I want to play it. I'm going to steal that one as well. Consider it stolen. <laughs> it's kind of like what you said. Uh, the big heroes, you know, take up so much space. There's such big point sinks that the, the model counts are, are dropping because of it. I, honestly, part of me is thinking when you, can you when you kind of read out that list, maybe it might have been better to go with the Elendil and just the Gilgalad and bring your model count up to 38. Yeah, so go no, no captain. Model. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So foregoing the march and yeah, you can def you, you get another five models or so. Yeah, interesting. I, I definitely I, I mentioned this off air. I mentioned I felt immediately that I absolutely needed to have a captain in there, and obviously the captain of Numenor was the cheaper option and still very good in in comparison with a high off captain. Yeah, just because it is an all infantry army aside from the heroes, so I felt like one captain was pretty much necessary. Uh, the alternative. I would have said is perhaps bringing along a Rivendell Night Warband with Gilgalad, yeah, or with or with an Elven Captain or or something along those lines. But uh, yeah, just to, just to boost those numbers. But if you're taking Lendil and Gilgalad, yeah, it, it might be a better option to forego the third hero and just max out their warbands. Well, what you could do is just just Numenorean block and then have Gilgalad leading a bunch of Rivendell Knights as your you know your, your mounted yeah yeah uh, shock troops. Yeah, for need sure. to have some yeah. infantry as well, of course, because he doesn't have... Oh, yeah, no, it's Elrond. I was thinking... I knew one of them had the uh, um, Rivendell Nice don't count towards bone limit thing, but it must be uh, Elrond. Forget what I said, unless you want to use Elrond instead of Gilgalad. Yeah, yeah, and that is an option as well, of course. And you could do some kind of combination with uh, Isildur and Elrond, or because then, obviously, Isildur can take the ring as well. You could go... Well, yeah, Elendil and Elrond, I don't know. I don't know about that one. I think if you really wanted Rivendell Knights, that would be the option with that. Yeah. Yeah. Go but, uh, that point. Yeah, but it's really interesting because I've always felt that at 750, if I really wanted something, I could get it. I couldn't get it in this one. I couldn't get everything I wanted here. Hmm. So you really have to trade off for those powerful heroes now. But they are worth yeah. it. I think they're worth it. It'd be interesting to run this. I think I almost have everything for this list. So I'll definitely consider running it in the future. Good, good, good. good. So that was the green one. What about the yellow? All right, so I had yellow. So the, the allies for Numenor are quite interesting. Like it's mostly the Elven Havens and the ants for some reason but you know whatever let's have some fun with it so this is kind of like uh it's not so much really competitive it's just a lot of fun i think it'll be a lot of fun to play first up we have a Sildor being the leader with uh the shield and the ring he's not on horse he's just on foot because the ring um and he's leading six warriors with uh six shields six shield spear um then there is a captain Numenor on horse with lance and bow and he's leading six with bow. So he's like what Jeremy said, the kind of that rangery outrider here. He has a lance, so if anyone comes near him or is stupid enough to come near him, he can just kind of impale them with a lance and have some fun with that. Now for my third and final warband, I just decided to have a bit of fun. I'm like thinking, we've got a lot of trickery going on with the ring. We have some, you know, skirmishing, running away kind of stuff. What can I add that's from the yellow list that's kind of really tricksy and stuff? And my mind immediately went to Galadrim. So for Warband 3, we have Galadriel with the mirror, six Wood Elf Warriors, um, half with throwing weapons, half with a spear, and three Wood Elf Sentinels, just to be really annoying. And yeah, that's the list at 650. Interesting. I like the addition of the Sentinels, actually. Yeah, I thought it'd be mm. fun to have like some Sentinels, you know, Galadriel with the magic casting support. Um, you probably don't need the mirror, so we could trade that in for a banner. Mm. But, you know, you take Galadriel, you take the mirror, and, you know, the 
idea for the force is disaster at Galadin Fields, which is oh, like yeah. really close yeah. to Lothlorien and stuff. And yeah, kind oh, cool. of a Suda loses the ring moment. A courageous army, I like it. Very courageous, yeah. very brave. <laughs> yeah, and the Sentinels, the Sentinels can do tr- like tricky tricks with Sildor to make him auto pass courage to put the ring on. Yeah, so then... I want to touch on briefly then uh, what you've actually given up as a yellow allies. Um, so you've given up the resistant magic on the Lothlorien elves, mm. and you've also given up the plus one courage boost from the Numenor. So the Sentinels kind of check the courage boost, and the Numenor check the resistant magic loss for the Gladrum. So it's kind of like a fixing each other's army bonuses by not fixing them. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that idea. That's pretty cool. Did you come up with that all by yourself? <laughs> yeah, I came up with that Very all by impressive. myself. Thank <laughs> you. 30 models too, so it's not too bad for 650. Yeah. It looks fun. Yeah, that's what I kind of have the idea for. Anyway, what have you got, Jeremy, for your crazy red ricotta cheese? Hey, 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 calm down. This is me. This is me. It's only mildly cheesy. It's like a bream, perhaps. <laughs> I nice. like brie. Brie nice. is my favorite kind of cheese. Oh, nice camera there. All right, here we go. Yep. So it's a little bit soft. So we've got Elendil, of course, because if you're going to ally Numenor for the pure brie or camembert or blue cheese or whatever, you're going to take Elendil because he's the best thing in the list. So he's got everything. 200 points there. And I'm so confident with the list, I haven't bothered taking anything else. So at 750, I've just gone for Elendil. Just Elendil. In case you want some other stuff, if you're not as confident <laughs> as I am. You don't need this. This is optional. It's optional. This is the optional 550 points if you want to be like really mean. You've got a warrior of Numenor with a uh, species shield banner that basically follows Elendil around, gets him that reroll. Yeah. Uh, he's got 14 Warriors of Numenor with Spear and Shield. So I've gone, right, everyone pretty much identical. Everyone in this warband has Spear and Shield. I've got a banner in there. They deploy and they can make a circle. They can make a triangle. They can make a square. They can make a rectangle. They can make a pentagon. They can make whatever shape they like and still get the spears. It's going to be good. Then we have Warband the Second, which is also from Numenor. It's got a Captain of Numenor with Horse, Lance, Shield. No heavy armor this time because he's not going to lose a combat. It's not going to be relevant. He's aggressive. Don't worry about that. Yeah, I never take heavy armor, my captains. You don't need it. You won't, you won't lose combat. Great. No, I love, he, I love, the, logic. love the logic. Love the logic. He's got 12 warriors of Numenor with, you guessed it, spear and shield. Every warrior of Numenor in my army has spear and shield. It's a shield wall of Numenor. It's it's definitely there. So basically, this Numenor army runs ahead. If it has to spread out a shield, it does it. If it wants to go in confined formations, it just gets wave after wave of spearmen and takes you out in the confined small areas while Lindell does his thing. Then for my red ally. So this cannot benefit from uh, the, the army bonuses. So no army bonuses. No one plus courage. I don't need it because I'm not going to break. I'm not going to fail any courage tests. I'm going to roll straight fives and six on courage tests on both dice it's not going to be a worry uh, I haven't cared about the, the alliance for this one I've gone for some fiefdoms because I wanted some heavy armoured men with lance so I thought the, the Dol Amaroth they're so powerful because they have a very small amount of the blood of Numenor which makes them somehow on par with the Numenorians. so I put them in this list this is my heavy knight contingent it has a captain of Dol Amaroth who's not a named hero so who cares about the army bonus with armoured horse and lance and then he's leading five knights of Dolamoth with armored horse and lance. So they're going to run in. They're going to charge basically after the Numenorians hit. The Numenorians are going to have these little triangular islands where the beer shield guys are going to 
basically be together in a group. They're going to leave gaps for the knights to fit through. So just under a 40 mil base size. So the enemy is going to have to make a choice. Do they sneak guys through? And if they sneak them through the lines, the Dol Amroth hits them and takes them out. Or they don't charge that. And my Numenorians hold the, the line. One has the spear, attacks with the spear, kills. The other one shields. I win all my fights because that's the best way to do it. And Alindal does his stuff. So... I think this army is going to be good fun. It's a very combat Numenor army list with the additional cavalry. And I've ended up with a total of 35 models, uh, 750 points, including Elindil and the two captains that are both mounted with the, the lance and shield. Very nice. Very nice list. And I love that you worked in the uh, the Numenor connection with Dol Amroth. We, we gave you the task, of course, of writing a red allied list and you've pulled it off with a plum, I think. Still somehow managing to make it thematic. I mean... I can't, I can't help myself it's like an addiction <laughs> a numenorian shield on those uh swan knights and you've basically got yourself some numenorian cavalry honestly think all you do is cut off the little swan things on their legs you swap out the shield for a plastic numenorian shield and that same plastic numenorian because you're not using those shield guys lob off his head put it on the plastic knights done you've got your heavy cavalry you only need a box of six i think it's a really nice option for the numenor um in terms of just variety of play because you get a bit samey so i like the idea of it being just a uh, if someone plays your Numenor a lot, you can do something a bit wacky, a bit different, and you can use the Red Alliance as your advantage, where your heroic move of the Numenor, push them forward, set up your lines, and then have the cavalry in reserve waiting to, to act third, essentially. Yeah, it's really interesting how you've described um, the order of events there, because obviously the restrictions that you have on you, that the Dolomroth Knights are only going to be affected by the Captain in terms of heroic actions, and vice and versa. Parts. And yes, and, and also you can't really call marches from the Dolomroth captain uh or they're not as effective because they won't affect the Numenorians. so it's interesting how you sort of use it as a uh, a hammer as a as a third action almost uh like a a reserve contingent i, I liked how you described it yeah Ooh. how it would be used really interesting because cool. I don't I don't want them in the front because I can't really pull them back that effectively. Because just say they're in the front with a Lendil, I have to call double heroic moves to get them out of there. And I don't want to do that. So having them as a reserve force, just anything that tries to get past my lines, they just hammer it down. It's going to be quite effective in that sense. It's going to love tight areas. It's not going to mind terrain. Um, it can go fishing for objectives pretty well with lots of mounted models. Uh, there's no bows, so it pretty much is running at the enemy, but I'm not too worried about that. Yeah, very nice. I Like, honestly, uh, at first glance, I, I was thinking about how you would do red allies and struggling to come up with good sort of tactical options, but I feel like that's that's a really good some really good ideas you've thrown up there, Jeremy. That's cool. Stuff I hadn't thought about. Yeah, that's what I do. That's why yeah. I'm here. Oh, very good, very all good. All good ideas all the time. <laughs> all right. Well, how about we get some final words in about Numenor then? What, what do we think overall? How do you feel that Numenor has benefited, just generally? They're basically up there with the best armies now. They can compete with anyone with the resistance to magic, with the strength for, and maintaining their amazing heroes. You can take them to any event and be confident that you win more than you lose with them, and you wouldn't be complaining about your list. I really like them. Yep. Uh, no longer are they the, I'll take them as a weak option, and I'll show how good I am tactically. Now they're, I'm going to hammer my opponent. Cool. Yeah, yep, that was my thinking as well. It's no longer, yeah, exactly that. They're a sort of niche list, and people don't think they're that good, and you take them, and you go, yeah, I'm a good player. No, now they're, they're a genuine list now, for sure. Any final thoughts, Kylie? Well, I... I... Slightly dis disagree with that because I, I always okay. thought that they were 
a good list before and it, it wasn't just a tactically show them a better player kind of list. Um, at least that's my opinion. I've always had a soft spot for Numenor since I won, uh, won one of my first tournaments at Canberra with them. Now they're just, if I could sum them up in like a short little phrase, it would simply be, they're just really, really good. They're just so damn solid and reliable. The troops are reliable. The heroes are damn reliable with the resistant to magic. I think that's the best word I can think of to sum them up. They're just reliable. Just reliable. The only really yep, downside with them is that they're a bit samey. You're pretty much taking a similar list with them. You know what you're getting when you're fighting Numenor. You know you've got big heroes and very solid infantry coming at you. Yep, absolutely. Thank you everyone for listening in. We're hoping, I, I actually really want to discuss this on the cast, we're hoping that we can crank out episodes a little bit more regularly. Do you guys want to discuss this with the viewers? Just quickly. The listeners. Let's do it. Daily episodes coming. Daily. Yep. Here we go. Every... We're not doing daily episodes. Every hour. Not, not, every day. <laughs> we're not doing daily. Every minute a new Thank episode. Um, I'm podcast. hoping Fortnite. That's what I'm hoping. I think Fortnite is not suitable yeah. for children. Yeah, same. The elderly. Same. Basically, we are Those we are experimenting with recording in different rooms. We're all at our homes recording this time, which is very different from the past. We've always been in the same room. We're going to sacrifice sound quality a little bit, but the advantage is we can get episodes out much quicker. So, yeah, and I don't have to wear pants while we're recording now, so it's absolutely fantastic. Definitely We could do a live stream. It's absolutely possible. Maybe maybe one day. We might even look at some videos. But for the moment, I'd really like to do continue doing episodes like this and try and get one out per fortnight so that we can make our way through this book otherwise because if, yeah, we, if we go at the pace we have been it will we'll be won't be finished when the next edition comes up so that's I'm our well, the next book to come out. when we're going to finish it yeah all right that's where we're at thanks guys for joining me and remember you're welcome oh thank you <laughs> and remember traps win games thank you for listening to the green dragon podcast Please be advised that the Green Dragon podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.